This is the Horse Radio Network. Is it appropriate to message a new trainer on Facebook? This week, we're talking about the etiquette of barn and trainer shopping and the effects of late night classes on horses and grooms. P.S. Did you know the coronavirus affects horses, too? Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, to Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 65 of Heels Down Happy Hour. How's it going, Ellie? It's going good. You had some of my weather this week. Yeah, no, it's been freaking crazy cold. I've been I've been wondering about Jess since she's like the nice person in the middle of the two of us. Like, I wonder what their weather's like. But Jess is still off this week, enjoying being a new mom. But we're excited to have her back, probably you know, in the next couple episodes. So, but how's your weather been? Yeah, cold, but cold. normal cold. Too actually too warm. Honestly, it keeps like you know melting and then refreezing. It's awful on the ground, but. Yeah, what are you going to do? I'm sorry to hear that. But you know it's cold in Florida when everyone comes down for WEF and they're wearing coats, you know? Because they're like, you know, the south tip of Florida where South Florida, it's always warm. But it's been cold there, too. Yeah, even my dad lives in Key Largo. And he said it was like 50s. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. He's like, I came down south to avoid this. I'm like, yeah, you and everybody else, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode is brought to you by SmartPack. We love our friends at SmartPack. Personally, they're where I go first for all my goodies, for riding clothes for me, for supplements for my horse, Mikey. We're big fans of their Colicare program. If you're interested in anything for your horse, you should go to smartpackequine.com. The drink this week is a frozen lychee cocktail. Mm. This is... Uh, Yeah, it sounds really good. It's 400 gram can of lychee. Then you'll need a small bunch of mint leaves, 100 milligrams of vodka, or you could use lychee juice for a non-alcoholic version, but I want the alcoholic version. (laughs) (laughs) You need to juice two limes and then two handfuls of ice. So you're going to take your can of lychees and drain the syrup into a blender. Add four of the lychees, a small bunch of the mint leaves, the vodka and the lime juice, and then you're going to add and blend until it's slushy. Serve in glasses, and then you can garment with a little bit of mint sprig and a lychee. So, okay, so have you had a lychee before, Ellie? Because they're delicious. I have not. So this sounds really good because I, I'm interested. So I've, uh, I, I never heard of it before. Yeah, it's like a really interesting tropical fruit, but it like it kind of tastes like. I guess it would taste the most like a grape is how I would describe it, you know, but they're really pretty. Okay. Like they kind of like you cut into them and they kind of like come out of this really pretty shell casing almost. But yeah, they're delicious. So this is a really fun drink. Yeah, I'm excited. I like to pretend I'm on an island when I drink. So this is very accurate. <laughs> there oh. you go. <laughs> All right. So, Ellie, I'm sure you've heard of the coronavirus. It's all over the news. It's actually kind of scary. But did you know that it actually affects horses, too? I did see something on it, but tell me some more. 
All right. So, and actually it's interesting. So there's this story in thehorse.com that's talking about coronavirus, which is highly contagious. It spreads between horses and it could be difficult to diagnose just because the symptoms are very similar to other illnesses. But yes, so since we're talking about how it's affecting people, basically the equine coronavirus, it's uh, people know it as all caps EC, lowercase O, and then capital V. It's been diagnosed in horses in America um, for years, not just recently. But basically, it's it's sort of, it's similar to like what we know as SARS, you know, the severe acute respiratory syndrome. So it has a lot of respiratory effects. But so this is, as you're hearing this in the news, I just, I think we're going to link to this story in the show notes. And it just might be something you want to read up on as, you know, as it's coming up for humans, for your horses too, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's even scarier. <laughs> I know. So this, uh, this story is great. So it has like... All different studies that kind of show you more information, but just to go over quickly, like the clinical signs are you're going to see horses that are going to basically want to stop eating. They're lethargic. They'll have a fever, you know, in a range between 101.5 to 106. They'll have soft, watery fecal stuff, you know, just stuff that doesn't look good. Colic symptoms are pretty common, but it can get pretty serious with even like, like seizures. So... And it Definitely. also said that most at risk is like Midwest, right? And mm-hmm. draft horses actually, um, and participating in ranch work and like breeding programs, which makes sense. I feel like those horses generally have lower immune systems anyway, when you're in yeah. farm and that kind of work. Yeah, seriously. That's really interesting. But speaking of the coronavirus, oh my gosh, like literally two minutes before we started recording, I was, you know, browsing the internet while I was getting ready. And Vice has an article or an article about how people there are people on the internet who really think the coronavirus has something to do with Corona beer. So this is just like <laughs> me, me getting on my soapbox to <laughs> tell people to actually freaking read and be, be like, know what's going on <laughs> and don't just like Google. This is have to do with Mexican beer. Okay. Like this is like a legit health public health concern. Okay. I oh saw a meme in response to that. I saw a meme that was like, what goes well with the coronavirus? A slice of lime <laughs> disease. Oh like, you know, just a big joke. Oh, people. Fact check. Seriously. <laughs> so in cooler news, you know Kaylee Kukau? Mm, oh, of course. She's one of my favorite people to stalk on Instagram. Yes, and she's such a good rider, too. It makes me jealous. How do you get to be a good actress and a good rider? That's not fair for the rest of us. But she made it onto the Daily News in the UK with her horses, uh, Benji and Nettie. Just some Instagram posts, and they were adorable. And she has a video of her jumping, and it just makes me sick to watch because she's so good. I quit. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness. So this story is so funny. It's like a, you know, like a paparazzi story, which always makes me laugh. Like when mainstream media is like, they want to like highlight the celebrity horse people, you know? So you'll, you guys should read the story just cause you'll get a good kick out of like media trying to talk about horses. So. Oh yes. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fenced course. She's jumping. <laughs> oh my goodness. Speaking of silly articles about horses, there was this really funny article on Yahoo Finance about like, and I'll just read you the headline first, Ellie. It's how much does it cost to buy a horse? Oh boy. (laughs) 
And it's written, I think, from like, you know, like a personal finance journalist, you know, like, so it's all like finance, like specific, like how much does it cost to own a horse? And then it goes into all these stats of more than 3 million horses are used for recreational purposes. And I'm like, okay. But <laughs> so, and so I'm, you just got to read this because it's so silly and it's all like super weird stock images of horses, like a Frisian galloping in the snow. Like it just, I really hope people don't Google and find this story and then think that they're like equipped to go out and buy a horse because it goes through all the, like all the silly things. Like you must consider feed healthcare equipment and supplies that you'll need when you own a horse. But like (laughs) some of these things are really funny. Like if you're thinking about buying a horse, you should talk to a financial advisor. Okay. (laughs) Oh gosh! All all financial advisors would say, "Don't do it." <laughs> I know. Well, any any financial advisors that are like sound of mind, but um, and there's also like you could get a tax break if you own land that your horses graze on. <laughs> that is true. I get a tax break. That is true in some yeah. areas, but That's let's not... think about yeah. Is that really helping you recoup your costs, Sally? <laughs> no, no. It's and it's just because they say that my my manure fertilizes the grass, so that's kind of the way I have it in my taxes. But yeah, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> yep. Also, if you board a horse, it's not like you can say, "Hey, can I get a tax break on my board bill because my horse eats your grass?" <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So you guys have to read this because it'll just make you laugh. And hey, so if you love Hillstone Happy Hour, if you love tuning in on the Horse Radio Network, wherever you listen to this podcast, we really, really appreciate any support you can throw our way. It helps keep the show on the air. It helps keep Ellie, Jess, and I um, recording new episodes for you guys, which we really love to do. But it does cost money to do this, and it does take a lot of time. So you should really consider becoming a contributor on our Patreon account. You can contribute just one time a one-time donation or patreon makes it easy to become a sustaining member uh where you can contribute monthly uh every every little bit helps so we really appreciate it and if you're interested in finding our patreon you can go to patreon.com which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n and search for heels down happy hour justine do you have a calm the f down stress kit Oh my gosh, I do. And I love sharing it with my barn friends because they just think it's a hoot. They laugh every time. Do you have one? I do. And I have the little wine stress ball at my desk at work. Oh, do you? <laughs> and it's it's a great conversation piece because it really looks like one of those mini alcohols. Oh, you it know? does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my boss saw it for the first time. He's like, uh, you can't have that here. I'm like, oh, it's a stress. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, this job is really stressful. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, all right. Well, let's explain. So, the, the Calm the F Down Stress Relief Kit is exactly what it sounds. It's a stress relief kit that we sell at Heels Down Mag Shop. And it's designed specifically for equestrians. So, it comes with a little wine stress ball, like like Ellie described. But do you want to say what it says on the stress on the stress bottle? Sure. <laughs> so, the PG version is Chateau D. F off. <laughs> All in French, of course, right? Yes. We're speaking in French. <laughs> All French. But my favorite, so it, so you get the awesome wine bottle stress ball, but then you also have a sleeping mask that says go away, which I immediately put in my travel bag for when I'm on an airplane. <laughs> and, 
Oh my goodness. But then it also comes with the Soap for Dirty Equestrians bar of soap. You could pick whichever one you want, but it does come with the stressed out Amy Lavender Therapy bar, which is personally my favorite, but you could sub that out for Wood Pick Horses Over You or also Barn Drama Detox, which is another favorite. And then also in the kit comes with a set of flashcards, which are super fun and super funny. And whenever you're feeling stressed out and you just need to like go take a walk, bring these flashcards with you because it'll make you laugh. And it'll also put into perspective like, hey, if you're really feeling stressed out, like take a deep breath. It could be worse, right? Right. I totally plagiarize these two. If one of my friends is venting to me, I'll just pull it out. And it's like words of wisdom. I just share it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, it's super fun. It's a great gift, you know, like a great gift for a barn mate or a trainer or, you know, a friend who, you know, who like stresses at horse shows. Cause I also could see you like leaving this in the trailer, you know, for like overnight horse show trips and you can pull it out when you're feeling stressed before your class. Oh yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. So the kiss, the kit costs thirty five ninety nine plus shipping. And again, you can get it if you go to shop.heelsdownmag.com. All right, so we are really excited to welcome a guest back on the show who we've had in the past, but we haven't talked to Brittany Raffalitz since the World Equestrian Games. Wow. So Brittany is a show jumper. It has been a while. (laughs) So Brittany is a show jumper who rides in Wellington and Tryon and who we can now say she competes for Israel. She represented the U.S. in the Nations Cup in Europe in 2016. In the year before, she was an individual medalist at Young Riders and also a bronze team medalist. And Brittany shows a bunch of horses at the Grand Prix level, and she's down in Wellington right now for the competition season. So welcome, Brittany. Thank you guys for having me. It's so great to have you back. I'm excited to be back. It's always fun here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and start. Like, okay, it's 2020. You're down in Wellington. How's it going? What's new at WEF? So far, it's been going great. I um, I have a quite a young string right now. I only have one horse for the Grand Prix, and he has actually just come back from injury. So we're not quite at the level we'd like to be at coming into the 2020 season, but I'm honestly just thrilled that he's back and he's healthy and he's, he's starting to really, really go great right now. Awesome. And you're competing for Israel now. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. So it was a, it was kind of like a dream for my grandfather and I to compete for Israel. And then actually after WEG last year, um, as it was kind of getting set in the process, um, he passed away suddenly. So him and I were going to kind of like do this together and make the switch together and do everything like that. And then he passed away. So after that, it was basically me carrying it on for him. I'm so sorry to hear that, but such a great way to honor him, you know? Oh, for sure. So tell us about the Israel team. We know Danielle, obviously, Goldstein, who we've had on the show before, Mm -hmm. but tell us more about who you're riding with. Honestly, I've I've known most of the team members my whole life. So for me, that's really exciting. Danny, I've known since I was little. Daniel, I've known since I was little. Ashley Bond and I have become really, really good friends. Actually, um, she took me to Orange Theory last night. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit sore today. <laughs> uh-huh. I've known Fitz Coleman by basically pony, since the ponies, all the way up until now. So to be with her is really great. There's Teddy Block on the team. One of my best friends just switched, actually, which is also really exciting. And then I also met a few of the other team members not too long ago. So it's 
I, honestly, it's very, very exciting for me. The whole team tries to act like a big family and everybody is very involved with each other. So it's great. Awesome. I know. I'm so excited to watch you guys. So <laughs> not going to lie. The first time I, uh, I went into a Grand Prix Saturday nights and I had the flag. I got a little bit teary eyed before the buzzer went off. <laughs> Aww, okay. So you're in Florida now. I wanted to talk to you as someone who's, you know, who splits your time between Tryon and Wellington. Um, you know, we're hearing all of this, everything about the World Equestrian Center that's going to be opening in Ocala soon. You know, it's like this you know, big, shiny, cool new thing. But as someone who like lives in Florida, yeah, right. So as someone who lives in Florida, I'm curious, this, like you're the you're the type of person who's going to compete at this kind of place. So do you think that it will draw competitors away from WEF in the future? Or how can Florida continue to support WEF and HITS and now the World Equestrian Center, especially when you have Tryon, which really isn't that far for people who might be coming from the Northeast? I mean, what do you do? How do you see this right. working out in the future? I honestly don't think it's going to take too much away from anywhere because, I mean, there's so many competitors, whether it be Ocala, Florida, or, I mean, Ocala isn't Florida, but I meant left. There's so many competitors everywhere that I don't think it's going to take away too many. And I, I don't know a lot about the, the World Equestrian Center that's happening there, but I've, I've read tidbits, and I don't know what's true from false, or so it's like I don't really want to say anything and have it be wrong, and it's like saying. But I think they, they have a great idea going on there. The layouts and uh, blueprints that they've posted, I think it looks unreal. So it's just a matter of when everything really gets set in stone, when everything's really built, I think then that will be the time that everybody will look towards it more. But as of right now, like I really I don't know how it's going to affect anything. But I don't really think it'll affect much. I think it'll draw like good enough people there. But okay, so Ocala doesn't have, like, FEI. So West is really the only place that has FEI in the winter here. Mm-hmm. So it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what they do with the place because so far from um, the layouts and everything like that, it looks, looks amazing. Yeah, it does. I'm in love with Hilton. <laughs> Your horse, <laughs> he is so scopey, yeah. so beautiful. How do you... Adv- Advice kind of for our listeners, how do you learn to ride a horse with that much oomph? Like, how do you stay with a jump like that? So he, he just turned 13 this year, and I've been on them since he was a six-year-old. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and I never really had, like, big horses before him. So it definitely he's a giant. took me a bit. <laughs> oh, he's massive. Like, he's, and especially if you stand next to him, you're, you're even more like, holy crap. <laughs> but I think because I did have him so young, I I was able to really get a good foundation with him and learn him. And I mean, the, the thing is my baby, like he's my kid. I've had him for however long now. And he's, um, he's done a lot of amazing things for me. But when I say it was blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> it was blood, sweat, and tears. But um, it did take me a while in the beginning to really learn how to ride him because I never quite had a horse that went anything near like him. So it, it definitely took a bit, but we bonded and we got it pretty soon after that. And from there, we went from the six-year-old classes all the way to five-star Grand Prix. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, for me, that was that was exciting, because I was like, holy crap, like, wow. That's a big <laughs> jump. Yeah, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. From barely getting around the six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brittany, someone who is showing you know, under the lights at WEF, it's kind of, you know, what people think of, it's the most spectator friendly part of WEF uh, is to go to the Grand Prix classes at night. You know, the world of show jumping published an article recently, kind of highlighting how unfair those late night classes can be for the horses, especially for the grooms and, you know, some of the trainers, all the support staff involved. And as someone who's, you know, actively riding in those classes, especially to, to qualify as you're riding for Israel, I mean, what do you what do you think of that? Do you really think that the impact is pretty hard on the horses? And what about the grooms? I think the, I think more of the difference was like between like Europe and America. And America, you know, it's okay. The class starts at seven or eight. There's only 45 in those Grand Prix night classes. So everything is over by, if it starts at seven, whatever, things over by 9.30. And that's still, that's still quite a late night. But I think the biggest part is um, the European side of it. I mean, I've been in Europe to, in an indoors where I don't walk into the ring until 1130 or midnight. Wow. And that's taxing. I mean, like you're up early. You're doing everything. The grooms even more. They're with the horse from sun up until when they put them to bed. And... I, I can understand what they're talking about in that article because as a rider, it's really taxing, but the grooms and the caretakers of the horses, they're the ones that have to go back for another hour to two hours after that. And then they only get three to four hours of sleep and it becomes hard. It wears you out. I mean, even as a rider, and we're not even have to take as much time as them. So what needs to change in order for that to change? Like just moving up the start times for some of these classes or capping the number of competitors or? You know, I've actually, I've been thinking about that since, since that article came out. And I mean, it's hard, especially when you have a lot of horses in that class and it just, it runs and runs. So I think capping, yes. I mean, even, even last week, I did a meter 40 here at West. And the class started at 2.45, and I went 89th. Wow. Wow. I didn't walk the ring until 5.30. 30, yeah, that's a long day, even for the middle of the day. Yeah. And we had started, I think we had started at 7.30 that day, like riding. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just me getting on my first horse. That's not talking about my guys having to do all the preparations before that. So, and it, by the time, like, we got back to the barn... And we had everything cleaned. We had everything done. It was it was seven. Yeah, it's a long and day. That's just, that's just your left. So I I really don't know how they would fix it. Whether it be capping down the numbers first, however many that enter get in. But it's just looking at it from the rider's standpoint of view and the management point of view. It's it's difficult. So I do agree they have to come up with a better way. But at the same time, it's really, how do you? Right. Yeah, it's a hard, maybe just raising awareness. I mean, this is this is the start of having a discussion. Exactly. And I think now everybody's starting to really talk more about it. To where before, you know, I, I don't really know if everybody talked about it. But now that it's really starting to get in discussion, maybe managers and show organizers will kind of take more into it and be like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. to help Good point. go along. No. All right. Well, Brittany, we really appreciate you coming on the show and thank you for 
spending some time with us. We're going to have to keep an eye on you and see how things go at WEF for you. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. You guys have got to check out Barn Cat Hero Coffee. It's so good. And the mug I drink it out of is absolutely adorable. Wake up purring with Barn Cat Hero Coffee. Check out barncathero.com. So, Justine, what is important when you are barn and trainer shopping? So, I know you just moved barns. Like, how did you make the decision to move? And, like, what what kind of things did you look for when you were looking for a trainer and stuff like that? Good question. So, yeah, I did just move my horse a couple months ago. And... And it's always awkward, right? When you're like trying to reach out to people and you're searching Facebook or and using Google to like try to find barns. And then you're just really relying on the internet's photos and videos of these properties to get a feel for like, could this be a place for me and my horse, right? So luckily I already knew the trainer whose farm I wanted to go to. So like I had a relationship with this person. So it the move was fairly easy for me because I already knew her and I trusted her. She knew horses I owned in the past, that kind of thing. But I did, I did chop around and look at other barns before I, you know, decided to go to her farm. And it's always awkward. Like something I always struggle with is like, is it cool to just Facebook message, you know, like the farm business page? Because that's usually your point of entry now, right? Like that's the oh, for sure. yeah. easiest way to find somebody. And you, I message them and go and hi, I have this type of horse. I'm looking for this kind of boarding. Do you have any stalls open? And usually that works fine. You know, you just are polite and I give them my phone number. And usually I try to get off Facebook Messenger as quickly as I can and have a real conversation with some people. But so many people are like, they want, they just want to text you all, all day long. Like they'd rather just communicate there. And I hate that. Cause I feel like that opens the door for people to like, uh, to miss connections, right? Like, or something might get inferred the wrong way. So like one farm that I knew somebody who boarded there. So I had like a person to say, Oh, by the way, I know, you know, Ann Smith or whatever, and to try to get me an in. And she's in the barn manager was like, Oh, that's great. You should come out and see the farm and I can meet you. And then I kept trying to set up a day to meet her, but because she wouldn't give me her phone number and all I could do was Facebook message her, like we kept missing each other, you know, like, Hey, would, would Saturday work? And then it would, you know, three days later would pass by and Saturday was gone by the time she was like, Oh, why don't you try me again? My day's, you know, my day's crazy. And that's the other thing. Horse people are busy, especially if they are running a lesson program, they're all over the place. Right. So it's hard to nail them down sometimes. So I almost feel like, it's fine to talk on Facebook Messenger, but then like once you have that initial conversation, if you can't get them on the phone, just like show up one day when you know people are going to be there, like a Saturday, you know? Yeah. And even if you just send them a message like, hey, I want to try to show up Saturday. I'll come mid-morning. Thanks. See you then. Because uh, that was my problem is th the going back and forth. I never actually went to that farm to meet with her because I could never nail her down. Um, but I think setting like taking a tour is really important. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah, because, like, here's the thing, right? Facebook, I mean, no one's going to post nasty photos when it's muddy and, you know, right. the turnout looks horrible, you know? Mm -hmm. You got to see, like, everything, not just, you know, the the shiny new stuff, you know? So would you would you take a lesson with that trainer before you, you know, committed to moving your horse there, if it was someone you didn't know? For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I was pretty lucky because as a kid, up until I moved out of my house, 
or my parents' house, I had been with the same trainer and like I, you know, trusted her wholeheartedly. So it was like really hard for me. Like it was like a really bad breakup when I had to move like to a new trainer. And I actually, you know, found the barn since I had three horses, I didn't, I could, didn't fit in everywhere because we're like, oh no, we only have one stall or we only have two stalls available. And I'm like, well, I can't just like put one horse in the backyard, you know, in the Mm -hmm. apartment, that's not going to work. So I just kind of picked it based on the barn and I actually ended up, the trainer and I did not get along in style or anything. So I ended up not riding with a trainer, which I think definitely hurt my like progress as a rider like I think that everybody should try to train with a trainer all the time you know just to refresh yourself because you can't look at yourself all the time you know yeah I've been there done that I know what you're talking about so I feel like definitely you should take a lesson even it's even if it's on a school horse that's like broke to death you know did you take a lesson with um your new trainer I did actually. So I, I hauled Mikey to her property and I just, I called her and was like, Hey, can I come take a lesson? And so I hauled Mikey to her property and then I didn't even bring up boarding until I got there in person with her. And I just said, Hey, I'm thinking about, you know, moving my horse. I want to be in a more dedicated training program. Do you have an opening? And at the time she didn't, but it gave her a chance to see like where I was and where my horse was. And then I got to have an in like in-person conversation with her. And then a couple of months, I think it was like two months later when she had an opening, she called me and was like, hey, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah. And so I set up a lesson with her again. And I I just rode one of her horses and then took that day that I was there to kind of walk through the barn, go through all the details. And then I, for me, just because uh, maybe it's because I'm a journalist, like I need everything in writing right away. So I like signed the contract. And she didn't take a deposit, but past barns, I leave a deposit and get a receipt for a deposit. So I have everything in writing before I give my 30 days notice at my current barn. Cause I, I'm always like paranoid of that moment of going like, okay, I gave 30 days notice. So this barn is going to try to fill my stall. And then what happens if something falls through and then my horse is homeless? Yeah. But I think that's yeah. mostly paranoid me. But I do recommend doing that if you can. Like I signed the contract, I made sure I had a copy, get a receipt for a deposit. I do recommend doing a deposit because it shows that you're just a serious person and you're not going to blow off this trainer who is now holding a stall for you. Because sometimes it takes a couple of weeks, right, before you can actually physically move your horse. So I do recommend that too. But, you know, I think, and I'm lucky in Florida, there are lots of barns. There are lots of barns in a variety of disciplines. So there was no shortage of options for me to go and look for. But maybe like where you're at, Ellie, like what do you do if, say, as a hunter rider, you're looking for a place to board, but there are no trainers in your like reasonable drivable area to board at? Like what would you recommend? Because I know you... Um... You boarded yeah, your Western horse at an uh, English barn, right? Yeah, I've never actually boarded at a Western focused barn. Um, <clears throat> even at, excuse me, as um, like when I first got him. And I think this is where like, you know, my I ride both kind of thing is going to pop out. But I think a good horse person uh, is a good horse person no matter the discipline. You know, so even though I was riding Western at um, my home barn in Connecticut, you know, my trainer was mostly dressage and eventing background, you know, 
she said, oh, you know, I said, you know, he feels really stiff on his right shoulder. Like, I can't really get him to push off this leg, you know, and she'll say, hey, we'll try this, you know, and I think that that those kind of things, good horse people and good horsemen know, you know, so I think if you find that it doesn't matter so much the discipline. Good point. Yeah, I agree with you. So, so but- I- go ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. But yeah, I think it's it's hard to know the etiquette because every horse person is different. But I do find that barn managers and trainers are really busy. And the horses generally like the horse stuff comes first and the business stuff comes second to them. So I, you know, I think being prepared helps them too. If you show up and you're prepared, you know what you want, you know what you need. I also think it's um, sometimes people are like afraid to say things that might offend them or they want to come off like, like they're selling themselves and they, you know, they want to seem nice. But I think it's really important that you advocate for what you need out of a barn and what your horse needs out of that situation right off the get go. But I'm just the type of person like I'd rather be honest up front because that's what I appreciate. But I I just think that's so important because the last thing you want to do is spend all this money moving your horse to a new barn and then start off on the wrong foot with your trainer or barn manager who thought you needed one thing. But then you're realizing slowly that what you need is completely different. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you've had that, you know, when I was younger, like I was afraid to ruffle feathers and I just, you know, at the end of the day, you're the advocate for your horse. So make sure you know what you're getting for your horse the day you move in. Yeah, that was definitely the case with me. I probably should have said, Hey, I'm a high maintenance boarder, yeah. like right, right off the bat, because I think I probably pissed off that barn owner quite a bit i'm like you can't feed my horse at eight o'clock in the morning and then 3 p.m because he's used to this kind of schedule and you know i mean they got used to it but everything was kind of backwards from what i was used to you know i was so in my comfort zone at this barn i'd been at for 18 years you Mm -hmm. know so Mm -hmm. i was like you're doing it wrong i mean i never said that obviously i'm not a complete jerk but you know i just like there were some things that I didn't like, you know, they only put horses out in groups of two, not three. And I was like, well, I want all my horses to go out together. Like they're used to going out together. And they were like, well, you know, we like to do two at a time. So that way we can just bring in two and then put two out, you know, at the same time, we don't have to go take two trips out to the pasture. And I was like, well, if you want my board check at the end of the month, then you're going to put three horses out in the pasture. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, so you kind of have to work with them. I mean, I don't think that we should sacrifice our horses like well-being, but you also, you know, don't be a jerk. <laughs> totally. All right, Ellie, it's time for Rose and Thorn. Do you have yours? I don't know. I think I, I got to think a little longer. Are you ready? Yes, I can go. Okie dokie. So I'll start with my poor Thorn because it's a sad one. My injured chicken died. She just, I'm really sad. It's the first chicken. I know it's the first chicken of my flock that's died. So I know it's just a chicken, but I'm taking it very personally. So she was doing so well too. I know she really was. So I just, I think she never fully recovered. And then all the things I did to help her just like prolonged her life. But I don't think she ever like was 100%. So RIP Nancy. I'll miss Sorry. you. My first <laughs> my first chicken. <laughs> um, so that was my thorn. And then my rose is... Uh, it's almost my birthday. Woo-hoo. Oh, happy early birthday. 
Thank you. Thank you. So my husband has something like a surprise planned and I don't know what that is. And I know. So when I was, he asked me like what I wanted and I was like, I don't know. You want to go to Wellington? (laughs) And he was like, can it like be not horsey? And I was like, uh, I guess. So I don't know what he has planned, (laughs) but probably not horsey, but that's okay. Well, you know, you never know. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. But what do you got, Ellie? Well, my thorn is easy because actually today I had to have the vet out because my little horse, who will be four this year, somehow managed to scratch his cornea pretty good. So his eye was all cloudy and swollen and pussy and not not a good thing to wake up to in the morning. So he's got a whole bunch of topical stuff I have to put in it and he's got to wear like sunglasses over the the eye because I have to keep it dilated and snow makes it reflect more and poor guy he's he's being a trooper about it but he's definitely gonna be hard to treat come day three I think (laughs) and he catches on poor guy well I hope he makes a full recovery it sounds like he will yeah me too and we caught it early so that's good and my rose is that Matt has officially decided that I can keep the cats that I found on the side of the road. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's exciting. The rule is that if I get to keep an animal that he gets to name them. So we already have a Scully and Mulder uh, from X-Files. And now we have a Luke and Leia from Star Wars. So that's a little nerdy in here, but. At least, at least I don't have to worry about finding homes for them, and they're gonna keep Victor company in the barn. So, oh. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad trade-off. He's letting you keep the animals. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, he works. he hates it for sure, but he's not gonna say anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we do have a good mailbag this week, Ellie. That I think you will be very helpful with. So Rebecca and our Facebook group wants to know the pros and cons of riding before work. And I can, I can definitely like, this is right in my wheelhouse. I totally feel this. So Rebecca says my work schedule is likely changing. And so she has to manage every, all the things work, personal life, horses, blah, 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 blah. And so she's considering going to the barn before work as her next best option, you know, which she's kind of bummed about. Totally get that. I'm not a super early morning person either, but her barn has a shower. So at least she could ride a few days a week uh, and still get to work on time. So Ellie, pros and cons. Have you ever had to like ride before work or ride before school to make it work? So I'm lucky because... I work from 3 to 8 p.m., which is like the best hours for a horse person because I have all morning to do barn work and to ride and stuff. Um, But in terms of getting up early, no. Negative. Don't want to do it at all. So my, my sister and my mom are both early morning people, and they can do it. Like, they'll get up at, like, 5 o'clock and then go ride at 6. You know, I... I admire them for being able to do that. You know, it's nice when the weather's nice, I think. And Justine, I think you've done it before, right? Like when it's hot. Oh, yeah. So it depends. I've done it with like various horses in my life and then various jobs. So and then especially when the seasons change. So I had a young 
Hanoverian for several years, and he just he was the type of horse who needed to be worked every day. You know, he just needed to be in the program. And mm-hmm. I would, in the winter time when the days were short, I would with my work schedule, I would get up at five and be at the barn before the sun rose. And I had a whole or you know a whole thing where I like he got to eat like a handful of grain. So he like faked having breakfast and then we would ride and then I'd cool him out. And then like, he would go back in the pasture and then eat later with his friends, you know, like it was a whole ordeal and I had to work it out with the barn manager because I was there so much earlier than, you know, like by the time I was leaving, her day was just starting pulling the horses in. Right. So, and I will, I will tell you that the, those early days, like I felt so accomplished, like getting up and doing it and then like going home and showering and going to work. Like I felt like, man, I could accomplish anything today. I got to ride my horse. What a wonderful way to start the day. But my big thing was like keeping up with it was really difficult. <laughs> so because I'm not a morning person, um, but I've yeah. done it with well, I've done it with my mare that I had for years, too, just because um, she was also a non sweater like the horse I had now. And it just helped to ride them early in the day when it before it got hot. And then in the summers here, it just, you know, with the rain, it was just so hard to, like, find time to ride. So I, I think it's like anything. It's like people who go to the gym. Once you get in the routine, it's so much easier to do it. You know, like, just so if you're going to do it, commit to it. And, like, in a month, you'll it'll feel normal, you know, because you'll just be committed to this new schedule And it is, for me, I always like being at the barn when it's quietest. So I do like when I'm there super early and I have the whole barn to myself and just that quiet moment with my horse. I can ride. Don't have to worry about sharing the arena. And I'm done and I'm like off to work before there, you know, there's any crowds. So I, I personally like it. You just have to have that motivation to get up early. Yeah, that's the hard part. See, I'd much rather ride at like 10 p.m. But one of my horses, I he's just a morning horse. Like if you ride him past like 3 PM, he's just groggy for the whole time. Oh, Really? That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Which makes him a great horse show horse. As long as you go in the morning. <laughs> gotcha. So, but yeah, it is hard. It is hard to, and like, I have a hard time riding after work because you're tired. You worked all day. Um, sometimes work drags on. You might not have light if you don't have a, a, you know, a covered or a lit arena, you know, so sometimes the mornings just make more sense. So, uh, you know, my vote, Rebecca, is just give it a chance. You might actually like it. So if you have a question for us that you'd like us to answer on the air, you can send us an email by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or you can always post a question in our Facebook group. Uh, You can search Facebook for the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us at Heels Down Mag, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Brief. That's our daily morning news blast. About It's all about horses and interesting news. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. And we want to thank our sponsors this week, Barn Cat Hero and Smart Pack. All right, Ellie, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers.